You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Well, we have got a lot going on. It is officially the last day of no Packers football. Tomorrow's game day. But before we get there, I do have quite a few things I want to rip through. I know I always have a million things going on, probably too many, but uh, such is life. We do have, first of all, a winner selected for the signed Jordy Nelson Lombardi Trophy. Now, I'm going to, I messaged this person, well, for me about 10 minutes ago, but for you yesterday, on Facebook, telling them that they won. I'm also going to announce it here on this podcast and give them 24 hours to respond. Now, there is going to be another competition, so if you didn't win, don't freak out about it. we got to figure out exactly what details we're going to run with and what exactly we're going to do as a giveaway But at the conclusion of the Packer game, we'll have an idea of what the giveaway will be and what you have to do to get involved. And we'll be doing this every week for at least three more weeks. Or is it four more weeks? I can't remember, but it's it's pretty fantastic. Also, and I I don't even know the rules on this, but I've got an advertiser. And I think their their ad starts running on Monday, but I'm going to tell you anyways because I'm actually very excited about it. There's a website called predictionstrike.com. A lot of people message me over and over and over and over and over saying, are we going to do the stock market game? I love the stock market game, but it was a massive amount of work. Prediction Strike does that for us. It's also going to be a little bit better. Not only is it going to be more timely, and it's it's actually real time. I've actually, I, I so I have a portfolio of players and I've already made money. I made four cents so far because it's not just a matter of how well somebody plays and they don't use PFF. I think they're using a combination of uh, fantasy points, but also supply and demand, which is the thing that we did not do, which I would have loved to have done, but it's hard on an Excel spreadsheet. So because of supply and demand, in other words, as people buy into these players that I already bought, the share price goes up and I've earned four cents, uh, six cents, excuse me, I've earned four cents just on DJ Moore. But some of these are going to be short-term guys that I've picked because I think they're going to make money this week and then I'll sell them. Some of them are going to be, I plan on holding them for a long time and I just hope that this website doesn't go under in the meantime. Guys like Kylan Hill and AJ Dillon, who probably won't have super big roles right now, but as the time rolls on, they will. Kylan Hill is like buying Bitcoin at its inception, right? But anyways, that's a thing. Um, if you sign up over there, the code is PACKDADDY. Again, they use all caps. I don't know if it matters, but just do it. And then I think they give you one full share of a player if you drop $20. Now, I put in 20 and so it would be kind of cool. I'm trying to create a, uh, a league, but it's not really working right now. But I want to create a league so that we can all be in a league. We all start with the same amount, and we see who gets the most at the end. And, and this is real money. So it's, there's actually money on the line. You can make money with this and then cash it out or however you want to deal with that. I'm, 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 just, I'm very excited about it. So they're not even running their ads right now, but it's just a cool thing that even if they weren't an advertiser, I'd probably tell you and be like, dude, let's just do this because it'd be fun. What else? Is there anything else? There might be. I don't remember. Might as well mention uh, DraftKings while we're at it. Again, I don't know exactly when. I think that might... The thing they gave me was just for Thursday, but I'm on there, and I did set my lineup for this week, and so I don't know if there's a way that we can compete one-on-one, but if you're in there, let me know, and we'll we'll compare notes, but it's just kind of fun, man, you know? It's just like, I think this guy's going to have a big game, and if 
if I'm right about these assumptions, I'm actually going to make real money, and that's kind of fun. Anyways, because today is sort of the uh, last day, we could do it tomorrow, but I'm not going to, to examine this matchup. That's what I want to do. I want to examine the matchup. And so we kind of went through the roster sort of generally, but I, I want to look more in terms of literal us versus them, right? So we looked at Jameis Winston in a vacuum. We looked at the offensive line in a vacuum. I want to kind of look at it more in terms of what we're looking for on Sunday. So first of all, Jameis Winston. And, and again, I'm still really torn on this because, I mean, last year his grade was a 43.8. He didn't play very much, but that is horrific. The year before that is the year he threw 30 interceptions. He had a tremendous preseason. Uh, there's the whole LASIK uh, debate or, or the idea that uh, perhaps that is making him, you know, he can see better, field division, uh, depth perception, whatever. And so suddenly he's very good at being a quarterback and doesn't make bad decisions. There's also the issue of him having a real big arm and, you know, stuff can happen. A team that seems down suddenly can be back in the race pretty quickly if a guy is just chucking the ball 40, 50 yards uh, and getting chunks. But I do want to put Jameis in perspective here, though, because uh, I think a lot of people look at the 30 interceptions and think that that's just Jameis in a nutshell. Not really. First of all, that was Jameis with Tennessee. And second of all, that was he didn't have 30 interceptions in 2018 or 2017 combined. And so what I want to look at is his turnover-worthy play percentage, which is pretty self-explanatory, but what percentage of times when you throw the ball did you basically throw a ball that coulda, woulda, shoulda been picked? Because that's important, right? I mean, if you throw a ball that gets intercepted or you throw a ball that should have been intercepted but it gets dropped, what's the difference? I understand the, the, the difference on the game. I'm saying what's the difference in terms of how good of a throw it was? There's zero difference. Once you let go of that ball, everything you've done is over with. There's nothing else you can control. What you did is make a really bad decision. So how good that DB or safety is over there and their ability to, to catch that or not drop that or make a play on that or whatever has no impact on, on how terrible of a throw that was. So again, what percentage of the time when you threw the ball uh, was it turnover worthy? His, uh, his actual average is 4.8%. To put that into perspective, if you put that into 2020 terms, at 4.8%, it would be sixth overall. Uh, the, the only five guys that had higher turnover-worthy play percentages, and this is in 2020, but I'm comparing it to Jameis's career average, Joe Flacco, Mike Glennon, Brandon Allen with Cincinnati, Nick Mullins in San Francisco, and number one would be Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago. Now, here's the other thing, though. Um, that 4.8 turnover-worthy play percentage is really skewed by a, a pretty solid 2016 season. In 2016, it was 3.8%. Since then, 5.3, 4.7, 5.4, and then last year, which he only had 15 dropbacks, so it doesn't really count for anything, but it's 6.3%. So if we actually look at his most recent season, now granted, that was the 30 interception season, he's at 5.4, and it's not that unlikely because every other year he's doing that. 2017 was 5.3, 2015 was 5.1. And even that 3.2 is not necessarily elite level. It's just pretty much average. 3.2 would put him tied for 21st worst um, out of 42. It's actually exactly 21st best also, so it's it's right smack dab in the middle. So at his best, he's average. It's where Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes were. Yes, I said Pat Mahomes. He was pretty bad last year with turnover-worthy plays. I, that was 
there was a lot of people talking about Pat Mahomes and how unbelievably lucky he was because he was throwing a lot of balls that should have been picked and none of them were. So it is a thing. It's definitely a problem. Uh, if, if we look at that 4.8, though, just for, again, just for reference sake, um, the 4.8 range, a lot of these guys, they're in sort of the 15 interception range, 12 interceptions, which is a lot. But again, I think a lot of people look at that 30 interceptions and they say, this guy's going to throw like five picks in this game. Jameis is a slightly less than one interception per game guy. I think I think I looked at it last time we talked about it. It was almost exactly one interception per game for his entire career, which is ridiculous and extremely high. But again, we can't base the entire game on one pick. I mean, whoop de doo I mean, really, if this game just comes down to uh, you know one interception, it wasn't all that <laughs> wasn't all that great. And again, out of the thirty some odd throws, one of them's a pick. Okay, what about the rest though? So I guess what I'm saying is. The way he plays in the rest of the game, our ability to stop all the other assets and all the other uh, parts of his game are more important than the fact that he might throw a pick. Now, with that said, if we look at how to play Jameis, um, he's pretty terrible under pressure. The interesting thing about 2019, which is the 30 interception um, season, he had an 84.8 overall grade when, when he was kept clean, meaning he was actually a very good quarterback. Statistically, he still threw a bunch of picks, but a very good quarterback when he was kept clean. He threw for, uh, let's see, 66.5% completion percentage, nearly 4,000 yards, um, 8.7 yards per attempt, 27 touchdowns, still threw 16 interceptions, but it was 67% of his dropbacks. However, when he was under pressure... 32 overall grade, 74 completions on 166 attempts, 44% completion rate, 1,100 yards, six touchdowns compared to 14 interceptions. He had an 8% turnover-worthy play percentage. For reference, if we look at quarterbacks that played a good amount in 2020, the highest turnover-worthy play percentage while under pressure was Drew Locke at 7.6%. Nobody in the entirety of 2020 had a pressure rate that high. Now, if we actually go back to that season, he was second because Kyle Allen in California was absolutely horrific at 9.8, but he was the second highest. So the point is, when he gets under pressure, he gets a little crazy. In uh, 2018, if you actually look at his grades while under pressure, it's there's still a disparity. He's better while kept clean as opposed to being under pressure, but he still had the fourth worst of anybody at 6.6%. Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, and Derek Carr were the only ones that were worse. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, number one, 2% while under pressure. While under pressure. <laughs> Jameis has never had that overall in his entire career. Aaron Rodgers, 2% while under pressure. The guy, I mean, it's not surprising, but it's still surprising just seeing the numbers. So really, the, the point is, and this is true of, of almost every quarterback, right? For most quarterbacks, there are a couple freaks out there where, for example, we saw Dak yesterday. He's, he's one of the best quarterbacks under pressure. So you can exhaust all your resources trying to make sure that there's pressure there. But if you're expending resources that could have been used covering to provide pressure, which doesn't provide you as much of an advantage, you're kind of wasting resources. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad idea and you should just let them roam free, but you don't want to expend too many resources bringing extra blitzers to try to bring pressure unless you're pretty sure you can get home. However, with guys like Jameis, when we're talking about a massive disparity between when he's kept clean, he's a pretty good quarterback, and when he's uh, you know not kept clean, he's a horrific quarterback that's going to throw a ton of balls that are going to probably be in harm's way, 
presumably some of them being intercepted, pressure is incredibly important in this game. Incredibly important. And so whereas we've seen, and again, I don't know if Zadarius is playing. I don't know exactly what this defensive line is going to look like. I don't know exactly what's going to happen with our defensive line against their offensive line, and we'll kind of get into that. But this is where you hope that Joe Barry wants to continue to dial up pressure. We saw it in the preseason. We saw a lot of extra blitzers, and we saw a lot of extra pressure. And it, it doesn't even have to necessarily be sacks. The point is, once pressure gets in his face, he suddenly becomes a worse quarterback. If you see him have to drop his eyes, if you see that ball come down and he has to move, even move around in the pocket, even if they don't quite get there, the second that pressure gets home and, and Jameis has to start making uh, decisions based on pressure, he's no longer as good of a quarterback. He's, he, he, there's like a switch that goes off. And I have to assume that the Packers know this and are, are going to be dialing up a lot of pressure in this game. And again, the benefit that we have is, is having quality defensive backs. And the fact that they don't have a lot of depth at, at wide receiver, tight end, et cetera, et cetera, gives us even more ability to say, let's just trust our DBs to do their job so that we can use our resources to get after Jameis. Because if you leave those guys a little bit exposed, and maybe you're worried about Kevin, but who's Kevin going up against? It's not like it's Tampa Bay or Dallas, like where they've got three wide receivers across the board they can use. So Jair's occupied over here, but Kevin King's still going up against a premier wideout. That is not the case. They don't even have a premier wideout in this game. Not one. But anyway, so let's let's look at that. Let's look at the, their offensive line against our defensive line. We heard from our uh, Saints friend. He has uh, a good amount of confidence in the offensive line, and th- there's some reason to be. Again, two good tackles and two really young guys that you can hope uh, have a little bit of growth in McCoy and Ruiz. Pete is just terrible. But here's the thing. Statistically, and again, we went over this, but let's just do it one more time. Statistically, they do give up a decent amount of pressures, much more than just about anybody except Billy Turner on our team. You know, again, if, if we look at Teron Armstead, 15 pressures, which isn't a ton, but it still won a game. Ryan Ramzik, who is their stud right tackle, 25 pressures. That is a massive amount. And again, if he was on our team, that would be second highest on our team behind only Billy Turner. He grades out as a really good player, mostly as a run blocker, but also as a pass blocker. But he gives up his fair share of pressures. And that's just the two guys that we know are good. Eric McCoy, the center, young guy, 14 pressures. Andrews Pete, the left guard, gave up 22 pressures last year. Again, I believe that would be second on our team. And then Cesar Ruiz, who is who was real bad last year, 25 pressures just like Ramzik did. That's 50. And both of those guys, by the way, are on the right side. Those guys give up a ton. So the opportunities are going to be there. Now, unfortunately, I don't have any way of breaking down exactly, you know, who was coming when they gave up those pressures. I'd love to know if there was any correlation between, you know, call it unusual blitzing as opposed to just four or five just coming straight across the line. But again, with the absolute lack of experience and talent, especially on the inside, um, I do think the opportunities are going to be there. And I, I just want him to keep the pressure on. Just don't stop. Just keep it coming all day long. Just terrify the guy. Torment the guy. And finally, as far as their offense against our defense, and I'm not really going to talk too much about Kamara because, I mean, what do you do about Kamara? You, you tackle him, I, you know. The only thing I really noticed about him, he very rarely faces a stack box. Um, I don't have any statistics about how well he does against a stack box, but the, the only thing that would make that potentially interesting is if they very rarely stack the box against the Saints because they like to throw the ball so well, and, and they do such a good job throwing the ball. If they're not doing a good job throwing the ball, do you maybe stack the box more, and does that hurt Alvin Kamara significantly? I don't know. 
for example, if you remove Drew Brees and uh, Michael Thomas from the equation, is stacking the box more of a reality? Very possibly. Otherwise, though, I think as far as their wide receivers go, I want, and I know that they're probably not going to shadow anybody, but I think, again, their their best player, I believe, is going to be Callaway. Callaway ranked uh, 74th among wide receivers. Alan Lazard ranked 50th, which, again, the whole we need better wide receivers, I, I don't know that I'll ever understand that. But 74th is where he ranked. So if we had their best wide receiver on our team, he'd probably be on the bench. So if we take that and put Jair on him for the vast majority of the time, they're in quite a bit of trouble because he's more or less going to be erased. So the only thing I'm really concerned about at that point is finding guys, uh, possibly like Deontay Harris, somebody that I had mentioned before. He may not play all that much, but he's a wild card on special teams and could potentially be a deep threat down the field. The only thing I'd be concerned about is some trickery. They do have a very good offensive-minded everybody on that team, offensive coordinator, their head coach, the scheme that they employ. Finding ways to make things work is sort of, well, it's something they've done very well for a long time. And so really, again, I just I keep coming back to this, and I'm saying if I'm the Saints, what, what is the best way to attack this team? And I just don't know. Well, Jameis is going to sling it. To who? That's the point. To who? Well, Kamara. Yeah, I know. I, I get the Kamara thing. But I have a feeling that's the Packers' number one focus on defense is stopping Alvin Kamara, crowding the defensive line. He'll get his. He'll get his yards. But he can't do it all. What else? I don't know. But with that, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We'll come back. We'll flip this thing around and uh, look at our offense, trying to find a way to attack this defense. Boy, oh, golly, oh, gee, I just don't know how they're going to do it. <laughs> But again, we'll kind of dig in a little bit more on some more in-depth stats than what we did before and uh, see if we can't build out a little bit of a game plan and see how this is all going to pan out. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, it just came across the wire that uh, Lael Collins for the Dallas Cowboys is suspended for five games. So um, the hits just keep on coming. You know, somebody had mentioned 
think it was uh, Skip Bayless or whatever, who's a big, obviously, Cowboys, whatever. I mean, he's his whole shtick is fake, but you get the idea. He kind of had a good point that it was unfair for the Cowboys to go up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, unfair is the name of the game, but um, that does suck, let's just say, for the Cowboys. Because I do think that there's a good amount of hype around them, but, you know, it's one of those things. Let's say they are a good team, and this is true of a lot of other teams, when, uh, when there's maybe some reason for doubt. But let's say you are really a good team. You go out there, you give it your best, and you do a good job, but you still end up losing. All that is going to culminate into, I guess we weren't as good as we thought, or I guess they aren't as good as we thought. Here we go again, same old Cowboys, 0-1, blah, blah, blah. And, he, and they can talk to themselves as much as they want about, well, you know, it's, it's Tampa, and, you know, we're on to week two, and we're still going to win a bunch of games because we're still real good. But that's going to get in your head. And now you just lost Lael Collins, who's a massive part of that offensive line. It's spiraling out of control quickly for the Cowboys. Anyways, thought I'd throw that in there. Now, on the flip side of things, and this is one of the biggest benefits the Packers have. I already mentioned I kind of went over the pressure thing with quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers is the other side of the spectrum. Now, pressure is still going to work. It's still going to cause some problems. It's still going to interrupt rhythm and all those kinds of things. But the idea that pressure is going to mean that you're going to get the ball taken away from the Packers, very low probability of that happening. He's not going to make ill-advised throws while under pressure. With that said, as we know, Cam Jordan is their number one pass rusher. Um, sorry if my voice sounds different. The Everything you've heard up till now was recorded yesterday. Um, had some stuff to do, and I'm finishing it today. And I'm feeling even worse than I did. Sorry that it's a late release. Slept in a little bit. Had to get the pork roast brined, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, so. um, Cam Jordan is uh, the top guy. But even Cam Jordan, you know, we look at Cam Jordan and we say that he's a top-tier pass rusher. And he is. But again, putting things into perspective. Because there's another guy we play twice a year, and in our minds, because everybody says he declined, and he did, Cam Jordan is much scarier than Khalil Mack to a lot of people. But uh, Khalil Mack's down year was 11.1% pressure rate, which is real low for Khalil. But he did have 10 sacks. Again, those are 10 PFF sacks, not official stats, uh, sacks, but I prefer PFFs anyways, and I've explained why. If you don't, go ahead and look it up. I don't care. Cam Jordan did have more total pressures by about four, but his percentage was even lower. He had eight PFF sacks, and I'm actually going to look it up because I'm curious. It was, well, seven and a half official uh, stats, so it was very close. But his pressure rate was 10.6%. That's not that good. I mean, you know, when if, if Kenny Clark has 10.6%, I'm looking at it like, that's not good enough, dude. You know, I mean, again, 10 is just baseline average. And by the way... Um, his pressure grade wasn't average, it was a 75, but most of his games were average, with the exception of, of a few. I mean, obviously against the Chargers, he had eight pressures, so he got a really good grade. So it averaged out to a 75, which is good-ish. I shouldn't even say ish, it's, it's just right at good. Middle of the pack, good. Primarily, he's a really good run defender, but um, you say, well, is that a down year? Yes, just like it is for Khalil. But he's, the point is, he's not Khalil Mack. So the only reason I'm putting it in terms of Khalil Mack is a lot of us don't fear the Bears very much. But we all have to look at Cam Jordan. We're like, yeah, but that dude's a freak. It's like, I know. But he's, he's, he's less of a freak than Khalil Mack is. And I, I, I'm not going to say like we, we're not afraid of Khalil because most people are. But we look at it and say, based on the rest of the team, I'm not scared of them. Well, then what are we looking at with the Saints here? Who has a better defensive line, the Bears or the Saints? The Bears by a mile. Now, I know they've got a better pass rusher opposite Cam Jordan. In fact, based on pressure percentage, Marcus Davenport is, is 
maybe a better pass rusher. Now, he only had two PFF stats, uh, sacks, last year in 13 games, which is putrid. But he had 37 pressures on 287 attempts, which is 13%. 13% is solid, right? 13%, so, so you got like the 10, 11% is, is fine. It's adequate. 12, 13 is real solid, right? You know what I mean? That was like peak Kenny Clark and uh, Mike Daniels. They, they each had like 12, 13%, like when those two are next to each other and just killing it. Above that is when you get into elite territory, 14, 15, 16, 17, like Zedarius had a couple years ago. But the point is, aside from that, if you assume Khalil is better than anybody that they have, the defensive tackles in Chicago are so unbelievably better, it's, it's, it's beyond a joke. And I've said Chicago's defensive tackles are maybe a little overrated, but it's, it's overrated based on people that say that these guys are the elite of the, the elite, and they're just not anymore, but they are really good. Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, and I think Bilal Nichols is probably underrated. But we know we're going to beat Chicago. So again, what are we scared of? Well, it's their linebackers. You know, if they have really good linebackers, I, I, I might be scared of, of Chicago as well. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of similar in that, in that regard. I mean, who am I more scared of? Am I more scared of Justin Fields or am I more scared of Jameis Winston? I think I might be more scared of Justin Fields, to be honest, because I don't know Justin Fields has been terrible for five straight years. I do know Jameis has been. Aside from a few theories about LASIK, um, Jameis has been, you know, barely average, ranking at, below average in terms of uh, uh, compared to other quarterbacks. Who has better wide receivers? Chicago. I mean, if we're talking at full strength, Allen Robinson, I think, is better than, uh, I mean, he was last year. He was fifth compared to Michael Thomas. Maybe that's not always the case. Maybe it's a little bit back and forth. Fine. But I probably still take Mooney over the other guys that they have. And again, I talked down about Mooney because Bears fans are way too high on him, but he's still, he's, he's a number two. So, I mean, again, just kind of putting it in perspective from that, from that standpoint, you know, do they have good pass rushers? Yes, they do. Is that one of the strengths that they have? Yes, it is. But I think, as I've mentioned before, if this is all it's going to take to beat the Packers, and obviously any given Sunday, anything can happen. But if this is all it takes, a really good pass rusher, we're not going to win four games this year. If that offensive line, which has two good tackles and nothing else, is too much for our guys to be able to generate pressure, we're done. We're cooked. We're toast. We're going to face way better offensive lines than, than the Saints. We're going to face way better pass rushers than the Saints. I don't know that we're going to face a worse defensive line. The Bears do have worse corners. I think the, the Vikings are borderline worse corners at this point. I know they brought in some, some veterans, so we'll see how they perform. You know, it's, it's kind of that uh, dream team thing where we just grab guys from different areas and smash them together and see how it all fits together. But, but it's, it's, it's a rough situation. But uh, again, their ability to pressure, and a lot of it is put on, well, our offensive line is young and we don't really know. And, and that's, that's fair and that's true. And there's going to be pressure. The only thing we have to do is make sure that doesn't get out of hand, and that's when the Packers get in trouble, when they just absolutely cannot stop it, and it just keeps coming, and it just keeps coming, and we just can't find a way to stop the pressure. And that should not happen. And again, if it does, if all it takes is, is one guy on each side, and our guys just cannot figure it out, and we're basically doomed until Bakhtiari comes back. But why would that be the case? You know I'm not a big Billy Turner fan, but he played there all year. I mean, he's been on our team all year, and we had the second-best offensive line of football. And according to ESPN, he's one of the best offensive linemen in football. I don't know where they get that from, but obviously very different metrics than PFF uses. In fact, just for fun, I'm looking at the uh, looking over at SIS, which I wonder if they're ever going to drop their price because I spent a lot of money on a lot of things, but last time I checked, it was like $1,000 to get their subscription. But anyways, they have a different metric called blown blocks that you can see for free. 
even using that metric, um, depending on what you do as a as a cutoff for blocks, Billy Turner was one of the most. Uh, 3.2% of his blocks were considered blown blocks. 27 um, blown, 13 as a pass blocker, 14 as a, as a run blocker. David Bakhtiari had the third lowest, 0.6% uh, of his blocks, four total, only four of them as a pass rusher. They have zero run blocks that were quote-unquote blown. Corey Lindsley was uh, three behind him with 0.9%, only two pass blocks blown. Elton Jenkins, a little bit further down the list, but 1.4%. Lucas Patrick, 1.7%. So again, I don't know. I just don't know how people rank him so high. Anyways, I got to stop with the tangents. Did we even take a break? I don't think we took a break yet, right? I got to cool it with the tangents because we got to get rocking. Oh, we did good. <laughs> that would have been weird if I put two breaks in there. My bad. All right, good. None of that nonsense. Let's get it going. By the way, I earned another three cents on that stock market thing. That's, dude, I like that so much more than fantasy football these days. Maybe it's just because I'm burned out on fantasy, but you know how cool it is to wake up and see how much money you made on the football stock market? I really hope you guys get involved in that because I just, I really don't care as much about fantasy, but I, I'm very interested in that. And I'm like, as I'm, it's one of those like shower thought things where as I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, that's how I can make bank, son. I could do that. Like I messed up all my strategy and everything, but whatever. I don't care. I'll figure it out as I go. The only reason I worry about it is I know other sites have tried that before. I remember many, many years ago, I had that idea, and I looked up different sites, and there were some that, that had that, and they just basically went out of business because people didn't know about it or get involved in it or whatever. Yeah, SAS is $750 for the year, $100 a month. That's so expensive. And then NCAA, if you do both, it's $200 a month or $1,400 a year. That's a little crazy, dude. Like, PFF is expensive. That's like 200 bucks. 1400 I can't justify that for a couple extra stats that other people are just going to be like, well, they're stupid too. They're just as stupid as PFF. I ain't paying $400 to get called stupid and $1,400 to get called stupid, man. Sorry. But again, outside of that, and, and they've got another, they got Trey Hendrickson too, not just Marcus Davenport. Trey Hendrickson, also a good pass rusher. Pretty much exclusively a pass rusher, which is the only thing we kind of, I shouldn't say that. If Trey Hendrickson's on the field, number 91, He's the one that's really bad against the run. So when, when they have Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport, you got two guys that are good against the run and can rush the passer. When Trey Hendrickson's out there, especially with that real bad defensive line, you know, defensive, I keep saying defensive line, but they're a 4-3 team, so that includes the, I'm talking about the defensive tackles, the interior guys. When you include um, Shy Tuttle and, oh, Shy's not bad at the, against the run, but the point is, you got some opportunities when Hendrickson gets rotated in out there, and he actually played more than Marcus Davenport did last year, but he was also 13%. So Marcus Davenport and Trey Hendrickson are 13%, and Cam Jordan's more of a 13% guy. He just had a down year. So they probably have like three different guys that are about the 13% range. But again, you're not getting much from the interior, and that's really what scares us the most. So it's it's a pretty good matchup, and I know there's stunts and twists and things that you got to watch out for, and they're going to find ways to abuse and attack our interior because they know that's probably going to be our weaker points. Um, DeMario came on 153 pass rushes in 18 games. So he's rushing about nine times a game. So he's going to be coming quite a bit uh, up the middle. By the way, just on to me, I don't think I mentioned who the winner was. So hopefully they're listening very closely because this is in a very random spot. But Brett Kane, Kaney, K-A-E-H-N-E, you're the one who won. And I messaged you and please get back to me. I'll give you a little bit more time because I've kind of botched this whole delivery, but I do need to hear back from you because if you're not going to respond, this can't take two weeks to pick a winner. So please 
jump on Facebook and, uh, you know, get back to me. Tried to find him on Twitter. I couldn't find him on Twitter. If, uh, if Brett's brother or sister or parents or whatever listen, maybe let him know. But anyways, beyond that, you know, and, and again, I, it's very similar to the opposite point of this where their corners or our corners are so good compared to their wide receivers, it kind of doesn't matter what strategy we employ. Um, Alvin Kamara is going to be the biggest thing. I mean, we could put Jair on their number one guy, and then, you know, their number two, who's basically like a number three, four wide receiver, is going up against King. And, and it, it, the point is, it doesn't matter, right? They're all just kind of equally subpar, so who cares? It's kind of the same on the flip side. Our wide receivers against their corners. I would guess they're going to want to put Marshawn Lattimore on Devontae Adams just because that's their most experienced, and I think they still think it's the most talented. And I know our friend from the Houdat discussion said that, PFF, you shouldn't listen to him in regard to Marshawn Lattimore. Point is, and again, I don't want to argue with a guest on the show, but um, the grades are reflective of his stats, which have gone straight in the tank. Again, he's uh, gave up almost 700 yards. He gave up eight touchdowns had two interceptions and 11 pass breakups. 11 pass breakups is relatively high. And if some of those had converted into interceptions, it would have looked a little bit better. But you cannot give up eight touchdowns. That's terrible. I mean, that's really bad. Kevin King gave up three last year. Adrian Amos gave up four. The only guy that that gave up more than that was Christian Kirksey gave up five. You know, we talk about some of these guys being terrible football players and real bad cover guys and this, that, or the other. Again, our worst corner, Kevin King, gave up three. That's it. Marshawn Lattimore gave up eight, like three times as many touchdowns as Kevin King gave up. And I know one of them came at a very, uh, you know, inopportune time, but still. And actually, two of his three came against Tampa Bay. So to be fair, our, our I shouldn't even say our, I've, I've consistently been sort of not super high on Kevin King, but for a lot of people that suddenly became anti-King because of the Tampa game, it's a little bit unfair. I mean, again, terrible timing, and I don't know why all of our guys decide not to play when it matters the most. But that's somewhat of an anomaly for him to play that poorly. But, I mean, he, he, he has not given up. He, let's put it this way. He's given up nine touchdowns in the last three years. He's given up 11 in all four years that he's played in the NFL. Kevin King has never graded out as a good corner ever in his entire career. He's given up 11 in four years. Marshawn Lattimore gave up eight last year. So, I mean, we can nitpick and say, well, PFF doesn't know what they're talking about. Listen, I know he has some good points. Again, pass breakups and everything else, and he's still athletic. But he gave up more yards and three times as many touchdowns as Kevin King. And I'm supposed to, what, give him a really good grade? No, I'm sorry. I can't do that. Marshawn Lattimore is struggling. His grades are going down because he is getting worse. And again, it's reflected in his grades. The year prior, he gave up three touchdowns. The year prior to that, he gave up two touchdowns. The year prior to that, he gave up zero touchdowns. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that as a rookie, he got 500, he gave up 500 yards zero touchdowns, had five interceptions and 13 pass breakups, and somehow he hasn't declined to a year where he gave up 670 yards, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, and 11 pass breakups. Of course he declined. Of course he's getting worse. So, I mean, does he still show flashes of talent? Well, sure. I mean, um, on the year, he had four games where he graded out as good. So maybe he's good against us. I don't know. Granted, his second best game, uh, second worst game of the entire year last year was against the Packers, which I don't expect to change because, you know, in fact, let me look at that. I want to know what he did and who we put against him last year. Let's look at that. Completely forgot our top wide receivers didn't play each other last year. I think um, their top guy and our top guy were out last year included. That's Devontae and uh, what's his name? Michael Thomas. But even so, even so without Devontae, 
He graded out um, as a 34. Everybody, we killed everybody in this game. Uh, Jack Rabbit Jenkins, as they put him, who is now gone, had a 37 overall grade. Malcolm Jenkins, uh, their safety, had a 34 overall grade. Alex Anzalone, the linebacker, had a 63 overall grade. Um, Marcus Williams had a 29 overall grade. Demario Davis, 53 overall grade. Um, the only guy that was halfway competent was Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. He's the only one that did anything. Um, and I'm trying to figure out exactly why. Three targets, two receptions, 18 yards. He just did a good job, I guess, covering guys. But um, Marshawn Lattimore last year gave up four receptions. Three of them were to Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard had three targets, three receptions, 60 yards, and a touchdown just against Marshawn Lattimore last year. So again, we're going to pretend Marshawn Lattimore is a premier player, and I don't mean to, to dump on uh, Alan Lazard, but I mean, come on. Premier corner in the NFL, and Alan Lazard just rips you to shreds. Three targets, three receptions, 60 yards, and a touchdown. By the way, the only other reception uh, was Jay Sternberger. So four receptions uh, on four targets, so he didn't break up a single pass, 83 yards, uh, seven yards after the catch, 48 yards was the longest, three first downs out of those four, and a touchdown was the total against Marshawn Lattimore, with no Devontae on the field. I mean, th- th- listen, their corners are worse, and we get Devontae back. I, 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 I feel like I just need to cut off the, the show because this is a joke. You know, we're putting so much energy into this. This is a joke. This is an absolute joke. I, I got to figure out how to, I'm going to put all the money on the Packers because this is so stupid. And it's still, it's actually moving in the Saints' favor. It's minus three and a half again. So it went from four to three and a half. I just, this is, this is ridiculous. Everything about this team is worse. They have a worse quarterback, worse wide receiver group, way worse defensive line, worse cornerbacks, worse safeties, worse linebackers. And we what? Lost Corey Lindsley and upgraded at guard. Let's not forget that, by the way. And I know David Bakhtiari's gone. But again, the idea that we're going backwards at God, oh, we, we got a young rookie, it's real dangerous. We, we don't have to have a young rookie. We can put Runyon and Patrick out there. Those are, those are the guys we ran with a lot last year. Why don't we just do that? Oh, that's right, because we have an upgrade by the name of Royals Roy, <laughs> Rolls Royce Newman. So uh, again, I mean, we, let's look at it. Um, Devontae Adams on Marshawn Lattimore is a, is a joke. So then... Alan Lazard, who, or MVS, I guess, against, I think it's Paulson Adebo, the, the rookie. And again, remember, what does Aaron Rodgers love to do to rookies? Traumatize them. Eric Stokes got absolutely brutalized the entire, the entire preseason, all through training camp, just traumatized the poor young man, just annihilated him. And again, Marshawn Lattimore isn't going to follow him all day. So Rodgers to Adams against Adebo will be a thing. And if they want to roll extra protection, that's fine because it's such a mismatch against Alan Lazard, MVS, Randall Cobb. These are all mismatches. By the way, one other thought about the wide receivers. I want to bring this up. I would strongly consider picking Randall Cobb for maybe, you know, fantasy football is probably too late, but here's the general thought process. Aaron Rodgers single-handedly brought in Randall Cobb. But that's, that's just the start of this little saga. Because Aaron Rodgers is trying to fight for the right to have more say in what the Packers do. And he's not only doing it for himself, he's trying to prove a broader point that that is the way the NFL should be moving. That teams that are stuck in their ways, like the Packers, who don't let players uh, make decisions, are wrong. And there's a lot hinging 
on Randall Cobb doing well. And there's a lot on the line for Aaron Rodgers in regard to Randall Cobb doing well. It's in Aaron Rodgers' best interest for a lot of reasons. On top of already really liking the guy, being one of his best friends, wanting him to succeed just because it's him, throwing to him because he trusts him. Aside from all of that, Aaron Rodgers and his future and his reputation are on the line if Randall Cobb does not have a good year. The Packers are vindicated. The Packers are correct. This is why we don't let quarterbacks make personnel decisions. All of those things are going to be said, maybe not publicly. I mean, Gutekunst isn't going to go to the microphone and say it, but it's going to be implied. You see, this is why we don't let quarterbacks make decisions. Aaron Rodgers has no intention of letting that be the narrative. He has every intention of having every single national media person talk about how good of a job Randall Cobb is doing and how stupid the Packers are for not having listened to him in the past. Think about how good this team could have been if they had just allowed him to make personnel decisions in the past. That is what Aaron Rodgers wants. And so, yes, I do believe he is going to force-feed Randall Cobb. I mean, if he's not open, he's not open. There's only so much you can do. But he absolutely wants Randall Cobb to succeed more than just about anybody else. Could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, but the point is, um, at the very least, I think it sets a floor for Randall Cobb. There's no way he can go this game without any receptions. And if nothing else, if all he is is a scramble guy and, you know, we're in the red zone, we got to get you to, to squeeze open or whatever, like, like we've done back in the past, where we were just unstoppable in the red zone, which we were last year too, for the most part, aside from, again, when it mattered. I do think that's an important point. And I do think it's something to keep an eye on. And again, it, you want to pretend like, well, that's silly. He wouldn't do something. Of course he would. This whole offseason has been about that. Even now when he does interviews, he talks about how people are stuck in their ways and they shouldn't be so stuck in their ways. This last time he did uh, an interview with Pat McAfee, that's what he was talking about. That, you know, well, teams are stuck in their ways and it's the way it's always been done and, and that's kind of silly and you shouldn't be stuck in your ways. Is it silly? We'll find out depending on Randall Cobb, right? And the, the point is he's the one in control of how good, of, of largely, how good of a job Randall Cobb does. He controls the narrative. And on one end of the narrative... He's an idiot. Nobody should have ever listened to him. He's being a whiny crybaby that wants to do a job that is not his job. On the other side of the narrative, Aaron Rodgers is right all along. They don't have more Super Bowls because this front office is too stuck in their ways and stupid to listen to the best player in all football. Those are the two narratives, and Aaron Rodgers gets to decide which one of those narratives comes to fruition based on how many times he throws the ball to Randall Cobb. Do you think maybe you should consider Randall Cobb? Just a thought, just throwing it out there. Some of it, again, does come down to Randall Cobb actually being able to play football, but um, I think it's, his numbers might be a little inflated. That's all I'm saying. Um, and then the, the only other factor here is uh, the running backs. And, and all I'll say is they have to be able to run the ball. And it's not going to be super easy. Tuttle is not bad against the run. Davenport and Jordan are good against the run. And uh, Demario Davis is a really good football player, as well as their safeties are, are pretty good against the run. But they're going to have to be able to blow open some holes. They're going to have to be able to win. Um, you know, you can, you can win throwing the ball, and that's great. I mean, basically, that's all we saw Thursday night was like, well, forget it. I'm just not going to run. Dallas almost won the game against Tampa Bay by just saying, forget it. I'm just not going to run. You're going to keep stacking the box. You're going to keep attacking, making sure I don't run, make us one-dimensional. That's fine because we're really good passing the ball. Tampa basically did the same thing. So I'm not saying we can't get away with it, but the point is if you're going to be the number one offense, you have to on some level be able to dictate and say, I don't care what you do, we're going to win. And with this defensive line, especially guys like Roach um, and some other guys, you just got to be able to make it work. You know, Jenkins has to win. I know Davenport's a good run defender. So so what? So win. Billy Turner. I Listen, Cam Jordan's real good. So what? Win. Do your job. Myers, Newman, Patrick, do your job. Win. 
And if they can't, that's a problem. You have to be able to win. Especially since, you know, yeah, Shai Tuttle can do it, but it's, it's a position you rotate a lot. Who else can do the job? Basically nobody. I mean, the only guy that graded out well last year as a run defender was Montrevious Adams. How scared are you of, of Montrevious? I'm not. Um, Malcolm Roach, who's expected to be the number two guy, 37 overall run defense grade. Albert Huggins, 46 overall grade. Uh, Jaleel Johnson, 33 overall grade. Christian Ringo, who I mentioned. You got two ex-Packers there, Montrevious and Christian Ringo. Ringo hasn't even hardly, he didn't play football at all last year. And then uh, Jalen Dalton, who also didn't play at all last year, um, doesn't look like he's ever played. He's a 2019 undrafted free agent that's just been kind of sitting around. So Shai Tuttle's the only guy that can do it. But he's also a terrible pass rusher, so Shai Tuttle's on the field, maybe just throw the ball. If Shai Tuttle's not on the field, and or if, uh, what's his name, Mr. Carl Granderson, who is not a good run defender, is on the field, let's try pushing him around a little bit. Got to be able to dictate to him. But anyways, we've been going long enough. You get the point. We're, we're, we're just better in every facet. And it's just a matter of you just need to show up and you just need to win. Any given Sunday, blah, 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 whatever. The Packers are the better team. Anybody that doesn't see heads and tails, top to bottom, a better Packers team than Saints team is delusional. Even if it was in New Orleans, I don't care. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. But anyways, I got to get going because it's already 8.30. I got to get you this podcast before people just stop caring. You guys have a great day, and uh, we'll talk for Green Bay Packers football tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.